This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Millie Derricks. Millie has dedicated her life to healing herself and others. Her story begins with her having lupus and facing the very real chance that she would die in a couple of days. The medical prognosis being so negative, Millie had two choices. Either accept it and give away her power to others and live in fear, or do something about it. She decided to live her life in her own terms and seek the ways she could heal herself, and eventually, when she had done this, to help others do the same. In Millie's journey to healing, she learned various techniques that brought her back to health and that she now guides others through. However, if she had to boil her recovery to a single thing, it would be that each one of us has the power to heal and that the body is designed to be healthy and well. All we need to do is give it the tools to do so. The techniques are just that, tools that help put the body back in balance so that it can heal itself. The most powerful tool in this set is to achieve a change in consciousness, being aware of our own power, our own worth, and to love and accept ourselves unconditionally. Only from a place of acceptance we can do something about our circumstances, says Millie. To learn more about Millie and her work, please visit MillieDerricks.com. Here is the interview with Millie Derricks. In your own words, who is Meli Dierics? Well, I would say that first a mother and a wife and a person trying to help others. So that's my basic response. Yeah. But how I got here was through illness. So I think the circumstances of your life sort of make your destiny. Mm. Or that's at least how I want to think about it and what happened to me. And how I made my illness like the purpose in life. So I'm also a therapist. As a, as a job, I'm a therapist leading other people through their healing journeys. That sounds wonderful to me. And I agree that we get to learn so much when we go through challenges. It's incredible how many lessons we can find, right, Millie, within challenges. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Befriending the Wolf, The Guide to Living and Thriving with Lupus, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is another word for healing? I would go for balance. Because what I found in my healing journey was that the only way to regain my health was to balance my body and its needs, and my thoughts and emotions, but also the spiritual part. And I'm not particularly religious, but I do believe that having something higher than yourself, a higher purpose for your life and for what you do, makes the whole difference from having a situation like that that could be a tragedy in your life. You can make it into something very significant and very helpful for others and really the purpose of your life. What do you think life is? What is this experience of being in a human body? Well, I think it's a great opportunity to grow and to 
to really heal ourselves and our souls. I do believe in reincarnation. I don't believe this is our only chance to get things right, as other philosophies believe. And I think we're, we're a work in progress. And it's through life that we actually get to experience if we have learned anything and to bring the, the learnings that we have had into action, into material reality. And that, that's such a privilege to have. I think it's a great gift. True. I agree 100% is a great gift. I'm wondering why so many of us don't see life this way. Well, I think it's part of the plan. If we all remembered exactly the beautiful beings of light that we are, mm. life would not be challenging at all. So we wouldn't be learning anything. So I think it's part of the, of the game that we're playing. If we can see life as a game or as a, as a movie or a theater mm. play, then we, then we can really think about it. Like if, if you don't believe the part you're playing, if you're an actress or an actor, nobody will believe you either. So you really have to get into the role. And that's why we have to forget. And that's why we have to go into the drama and do the suffering and do the, the challenges. If we didn't believe they were true, which they're not in our energetic spiritual bodies, right. then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any, any purpose in doing the whole biological effort. It's a huge biological effort to be here. Just imagine that of all those sperms, the one that belonged to you and that egg just came together for you to be exactly the person that you are. Just that instant of, of conception is a miracle in itself. And all the biological effort of going through pregnancy and going through childhood and relearning how to walk and talk and be and behave. Imagine all that effort for nothing. Mm -hmm. It would be useless. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I never thought it that way. Although it makes sense because we are all unique, very unique. That makes sense. Although I don't connect our human uniqueness to spiritual awareness, although they dance together. <laughs> That's an interesting perspective. Well, the way I see it yeah. is that our souls, our, our spiritual beings, our light beings, decided to incarnate, but it's not, the way I see it, it's not like you go to a shop and you choose a body. Right. But that the soul actually starts densifying its energy mm. into a body that it wishes to manifest through. So I think our spirits and our bodies are much more related than we have come to think, which is why I, I don't, I don't like the philosophies that tell you that you have to negate the body or, mm -hmm. or punish the body in order to reach spirituality right. because I mean, the same thing, we're one, we're not two things. We are one thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you and with this idea of trying to disconnect from the body in order to find higher levels of consciousness. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I think it's part of the, of the way we're made. Our consciousness is part of universal consciousness, and it, it has the ability to question itself. Right. And that's, that's another beautiful gift we're given. And that's associated with free will, and it's associated with everything we are. Because I think we are divine consciousness. And the only way we can really express our free will and be divine consciousness is if we can question ourselves, who we are, what we're doing, where we come from, what's the purpose of life. All these questions are really leading us back to our higher being, to our source, to our true self, to say it sometime. But yeah. consciousness is that part of us that makes us unique and makes us human and makes us part of the divine consciousness. Where is the consciousness located? Do you believe it comes from the body itself or it's connecting to the body? It's out there somewhere, space, but then connects to the body. Well, how about both? Because if the body is a condensation of our energy, then it's also conscious and it has its own wisdom and we can access consciousness through the body or outside of it, because we are so much more than our physical bodies. This is just one of the manifestations of everything we are. So it's like, I, I, the way I see it is like the Russian dolls, you know, those that, that come together. 
And the physical body is a tiny little doll inside. It's still the same thing, but the other dolls, the bigger dolls come out, out from the physical body, but they're the same. Then it's not like we need a connection between them, but it's the only where we put our awareness. So consciousness is not a place in the body, but a place in, in, in the cosmos. And where we put our awareness is where energy follows and where thought follows and where everything follows. So our capability of attention is the key here because it just as because you can put your awareness in a part of your body, maybe you were not conscious about your left toe until I said left toe. And now you're conscious of your left toe. And in the same way, we can put our consciousness in the outer dolls, in the outer bodies that are much more subtle than the physical. So the physical takes most of our attention because it's always feeling and it's always doing things. But the other bodies are still there and they're still us and they're permanently connected because we are that. It's like not being conscious of your left toe and then being conscious of your left toe. Your left toe never left. It's just that you weren't conscious of it. And I think that's that's the trick with consciousness. You just have to put your attention in it and know how to do it. Mm. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I agree. Very well said. Yes, it's attention and focus, right? What is the opposite of life? What do you think is the opposite of life? Well, I would say unawareness. I think... A lot of people are just going through life, like going through emotions without ever experiencing actually life. And that to me is more than death because death in itself, and I have been faced by death twice already. And I don't think death is the end. We are that spiritual being. And actually death is the waking up, what we call death. So it's not the opposite of life. It's complete unawareness that we are that beautiful light being in this body and the miracle of life and the just wonder of it all. I think that's being alive. And the other, they're just going through the motions and thinking that everything is hard and suffering and horrible. I think that's the opposite of life. Beautifully said again. I love your wisdom. What do you think is the purpose of this journey? Is there a destination? <laughs> well, I think it's manifold. We have different levels, different levels of consciousness, and therefore different purposes. There's one purpose for this particular physical life that we come here. I think we come here for a, with a lesson or lessons to be learned, and also with a gift to give. Something we have already learned through our many experiences in life, that we come to give to the world. So that's the purpose of this one, this physical life that we are living here. But of all life, I think it's just divine consciousness wanting to experience itself in different ways, in every single way possible. It's I, I see nature, I see life, and I see all this variety. There's not one leaf that's identical to another one, not one human that's identical to the other one. So if that tells us anything about source or divine creation, is that it likes variety. It's experiencing itself in every single form, every single way possible. And each one of us is an expression of that experience for source. So that's, that's like the divine purpose of all creation and all life to me is that experiencing of yourself. And actually us as part of that divine consciousness, we do the same. We like to explore life. We like to do different things. We like to change scenarios we like to experience different emotions and different situations so we're doing the same in our in our little lives that divine consciousness is doing in the whole universe because we are divine consciousness and part of it absolutely yeah we're not separate from it and that kind of makes me think about the more we are connected and aware of divine consciousness in my experience, we become less judgmental and we embrace everything, all the diversity and the variety, as you call it. And it's just the most beautiful thing because that creates a lot of inner peace or there's a place that's not really touched, that divine consciousness is not touched by anything that we perceive here as bad 
or as horrible, not that. Why do we still want to change the world and change others when we perceive them as harmful or bad or negative? Well, that's because our bodies, our egos, do die. They do... They, the fear is in this body, is in this manifestation, because this one can get hurt, yeah. and it, it does experience pain and suffering. Right. And our ego is terrified of death because the ego dies with the body. Mm. The rest of the, of the self, the, the light self, never dies, but the ego does and the body does. So whatever we perceive as threatening is a threat to our continued experience and our continued life. And of course, we want to make our life the safest we can. And everything we perceive as dangerous out there, and most of the, that perceiving is, is culturally based, and it's it's a programming that we receive as children, right. or some experiences that we have had that make us believe that a certain situation or a certain group of people or a certain culture is threatening to us. Therefore, we want to change it because we want to be safe. And we, the, at the biological level, we're always avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. Mm. That's just ingrained in our, in our subconscious mind. Freud called it the eros and the tanatos. It's the destructive principle in, on one side, which is the, the vengeance with which we protect ourselves and we can even become violent. Mm. And the eros principle, which is the seeking of the pleasure, which is Everything that leads to life is pleasurable for us because we had to be encoded that way in order to preserve life. Imagine living without fear. It sounds very romantic, but it would probably end up in death really fast because if you're not we're not scared of heights or, I don't know, poisonous spiders mm-hmm. or, or the open ocean, you would go and do things that were really dangerous to life and then this whole going back to the biological effort would be for naught because you would die really young. We, we wouldn't be able to survive. So biologically, we need this defense mechanisms in order to stay alive. The thing is that with the brain and with the higher capacities of reasoning, we have extrapolated actual threats in the moment to potential threats in the future. And that's what becomes racism and that's what becomes negative thinking about other people and other things because we extrapolate one situation or one programming that we were told as children into a whole other experience we just take that into another level with our minds and those are the beliefs that cause all this violence that has nothing to do with protecting ourselves that has to that becomes bigotry and that becomes racism and that becomes hatred and war because we are perceiving threats where there are none. So I guess I will ask you this question more specifically about this desire for change that we have. The desire for change in that sense of trying to make the world a better place, not because we want to save ourselves physically, but because we wish the best for the other. We wanted them at peace. Is that coming from the ego too? No, I think that's coming from the, from the second level of consciousness. For me, there's four levels of consciousness. Yeah. And the first one is the ego, and it's all these instincts and protecting ourselves and just being alive and loving ourselves and accepting ourselves. That's the first level. But the second level is the empathic level, and that's where we can connect with others. That's when we realize that we need this connection. That's the tribal and the cultural and the belonging need. And it's, it's a heart centered consciousness. It's what they call the wisdom of the heart. And trying to make a better world for ourselves and for our children and for others and for next generations, I think comes from that level of consciousness. Even even service to others, help, comes from the heart-centered consciousness in which you actually want the other person to smile and be happy. Mm-hmm. And you want everybody to have a good life and, and to just have this this wonderment. But that's the next level. That's not the biological level of consciousness. You, you never see this as in animals. Animals don't want to change the world to make it better for other zebras. True. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. You spoke of four levels of consciousness, the ego, empathetic, and then talk to me about the other two. Sure. For me, the next one is the, is the one level where we are conscious that not only are we connected to each other, but that we are all one. 
in in ourselves and and this in was it's like we were one body humanity right. we are one and then there's the fourth one which only that I, that I can think of only the Christ and the Buddha have achieved which is the the source consciousness which is when we realize that we are the source mm-hmm. but we realize it not in an intellectual level but in an experiential level we can really feel it in 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 ourselves and this is where we manifest miracles because we know we are the source mm. and i think we are all the same i don't think these people are are completely different from us like they have been made to be like a completely different species even I think we're all capable of this. It's only a, a coming to the realization of who we are. And we do this in steps. So the first level of consciousness is very important, actually, because it is the survival and it is the love of you and the needs of you. So you have to have a really strong, and that's the ego. You have to have a really strong ego to be able to let go of the ego, mm-hmm. however contradictory that sounds. But right. even in Buddhism, that they do this, we have to get rid of the ego. First, you need a really strong ego and a really strong sense of, of yourself and of loving yourself and accepting yourself and accepting yourself as you are, no judgment. Mm. When you can do that, then you can go into the empathic level and really feel what the other person is feeling and really think for the other person. And I actually think that the situation we're living now, yeah. all these crises we're living, our world is changing completely. Right. It's incredible the amount of change we have lived in so little time. Right. And I think what it's begging of us is to go into the empathic consciousness, into the heart wisdom. Because if, if we don't pull together, we won't be able to exit these crises. Just look at the environment, at the economy, at the health crisis, at everything that's going on. Either we pull together, and even, even for the COVID-19, what are they telling you? Wear a mask, not only to protect yourself, but to protect others from you. Mm. That's that's such an empathic way to think about illness. It's not I need to protect myself, it's I need to protect you from me. Mm. And that's I think that's the first step. And that's what all the circumstances, I think that's the gift of all the situation, that we can evolve into this level of consciousness in which we stop thinking about me, mine, I, and start thinking about we, ours, us. Yeah. Because we have to pull together and we have to do it for the environment and we have to do it for the economy and we have to do it for each other. And I don't know what the world is going to look like after this. But if we don't pull together and we don't do it together, I think we we may reach the the point that scientists have been warning us about for ages, that then no return point in which the weather will turn against us and just wreak havoc on life on Earth as it is. I absolutely love the clarity coming from your manifestation of the self. <laughs> what do you love the most about being a woman? What I love the most was having kids, being a mother. <laughs> yeah. Just that energy of motherhood. And and if you talk to my children, they would tell you I'm, I'm the biggest mother hen in the world. <laughs> yeah. But I just that feeling of connectedness with another human being growing inside you. For me, it was such a miracle and such a, a privilege to be able to do. So I think that's why I chose a female body, because I wanted to be a mother and I wanted to to have life growing inside me and just taking care of babies. And they're 21 and 18 and they're still my babies. I'm sorry. And they're going to be <laughs> forever. Yeah, babies. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. How beautiful. So my other question about being a woman, what have you found to be the most challenging aspect about being a woman? In these times, I have to tell you the most challenging thing is that success is associated with a lot of of yang energy, of man energy. So in order to be successful in the world, I think we have lost a, a lot of what makes us female and of the of the things that are valuable as a woman. And we try to behave as men to be successful in a world of men. And I find that very unjust, to be perfectly honest with you, because there's a, there's so much value in, in the female energy, in the yin energy, in this receiving, in this being the, the support system of a family, of being 
sensitive and being able women as as such we are much more empathic than men because we can we have to because we create lives within us and we have to put the baby's needs before our own in order for the baby to survive right if we don't wake up at night when he cries that baby's not going to flourish very well so i think that all these values we have put aside in order to try to compete in a man's world with a man's energy and well the results are obvious we we don't make as much money for the same jobs we are discriminated in the jobs of men because we are trying to compete in an arena in which our our own intrinsic values are not being recognized and we're trying to put on the 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 suit of a man in order to compete in his world. And I find that very challenging in, in all aspects. Even in my family, when when I do something and my three boys, as I call them, I have two boys and my husband, my three boys just mm-hmm, yeah. look at me like, oh, mommy and her crazy thing. <laughs> of course I laugh, It's but they, they don't recognize the effort I put into things and their effort is recognized. So even mm-hmm. at a family level, it's it's funny to see how the things I do because they're empathic and because they're sensitive and because they're helping others and all these kind of things. And I don't make as much money as my husband does. Therefore, I'm not appreciated in the same way. And that's I, I just think that's because of the of the definition we have made of success. There are many different kinds of success and many different co- ways in which we can manifest in life. And making money, which is a very young energy, a very manly energy, is not the only one. And but we 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 have lacked as a society the definition of success in the other realms, in all this world of being sensitive and being spiritual and being the connective tissue. Women, we are the connective tissue of society. Just look at a society. And, I, I go back to tribal societies. Without the women, they, they're the ones that keep the, even in the cave times, they were the ones that kept the cave, that made the food, that kept the fire going. Without all that, community is impossible. Women have been traditionally the, the receptors of knowledge. It was a woman who started noticing that when she threw the, the garbage of plants in the earth, that plant came out and then the agriculture began. Because we have that that capacity of observation, of being patient, of of being sensitive, of really connecting with with plants. All the knowledge about plants was was all these wise women just sitting and connecting with the plant and asking it for its for its characteristics and trying it and, and having the patience to do that. So a lot of the knowledge that has made us human and that has made civilization thrive has been passed down through women and it's women that educate the children. So if we don't have the knowledge, we can't pass it over. So I think that's, that's another really big aspect that all these societies that refuse to educate women, they're losing out on their children being the receptacles of knowledge because the women are not passing down the knowledge because they're refusing to give it to them. That's what I find challenging about being a woman. It's, it's a difficult world in general for women and it has been for many many thousands of years i would say yeah and it's true do you think that this is changing at this time yeah i think so i think i think it's it's been a slow change <laughs> yeah but it's definitely changing and we have gained a lot of freedom but i think what we can't lose we can't afford ourselves to lose is the feminine side is the feminine energy the being that connective tissue and that sensitive part we can't all go into the into the suits and the portfolios and go off to offices and be men True. because we lose a lot of the richness of being women we can do that but still be the sensitive and receptacle the patient mm-hmm. the connective tissue of society and family i agree a hundred percent and that has a lot to do with a word that you use you say balance so that word is key from what i see being able to balance those two energies, right? Masculine and feminine within us. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? For me, it's to be fulfilled. If you feel joyful doing what you do, you're a success. And if another person thinks so too, well, that's just cream on the pie. But if (laughs) if you're fulfilled by what you do, for example, I'm thinking about a painter. 
<laughs> a Van Gogh. Nobody appreciated him in his lifetime, but he was so fulfilled by what he did. He continued to paint all his life. He couldn't put the brush down. Right. And in his lifetime, he wasn't considered successful because he could never make a living. But look at the works of art he created. And it was so fulfilling for him to paint that he could never stop doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's for me the definition of success. Whatever makes you happy and whatever you can't stop doing and whatever fills you with joy, that is your success. Yeah, I agree. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Well, freedom is associated with free will and it does exist for me. It's de a definite there's a lot of people that debate if we will exist or we're determined. I think it exists, but it, it's also in degrees. So, for example, in the in the biological level, our free will extends basically to us and the responsibility of us. I think that's where we are truly free, where we can choose the way we react. We can choose the way we feel. We can choose how we think. As this famous poem that Mandela made famous. We are the captain of our souls because we decide to be free inside us, no matter the circumstances. Because the circumstances out there, maybe of the, many of them we can't change. We can't change that there's COVID-19. We can't change that the economy is in crisis. We will be able to when we get together, but uh, individually today, there's very little I can do to get rid of a virus, for example. Right. But I know I can I can be free inside myself and I know how to react and how to think. I can either go down the, oh my God, we're all going to die tomorrow way, or I can be the positive thinker saying, okay, this is, this is all a trial of humanity because we have to elevate our consciousness and try to bring and help people do that. And when we do that, it's going to be a great gift. And that's completely up to me, what I think of that circumstance. So I think that reality and circumstances are... They're not good or bad, but our freedom rests in our response to reality, what we do with it, what we do with what we have, because we are in a body and our bodies also have limitations. Yeah. We have cultural limitations, we have gender limitations, we have age limitations. So right now I'm, I'm 50 years old. If right now I decided to become, I don't know, the world's best gymnast, Maybe I would be a little bit too old to do that because my, my body was never trained to do that. And to start training now, uh, <laughs> maybe I do some progress, but I don't think I would become the best gymnast in the world. Right. So with the we have and with the circumstances we have, we can choose. And cho choosing, choice, mm. is freedom. That is the freedom we have, the choice within us to do whatever we want to do with what we have in the circumstances we're living Mm, I love that. And I agree. That makes me think about inner peace. Yeah, that that is connected to freedom, choosing to be at peace. Right. What is love to you, Millie? Love to me is the manifestation of divine consciousness in the world and everything that's created. For me, love is a cohesive force. It's cohesive energy. It's the one that keeps our atoms together. Because if, if you ever read about quantum physics and all these sciences, there is absolutely no reason, logical reason, why we should be here, why life should have thrived, why our atoms should keep together. Just the space between the, the nucleus of the atom and the first electron, which is not even a particle, it's a wave. There's nothing holding it together. And for me, what's holding it together, the quantum physicists call it the field. I call it love. It's that cohesive energy that keeps the, the whole universe together. Galaxies, solar systems, stars, uh, our atoms, a leaf and a tree. So it's that cohesive energy that builds, that creates. Wow. I love that definition too, the perspective, a wonderful one. What, where, and who is God to you? Well, divine consciousness. I think God is a term we use for that intuitive feeling we have that there's so much more than the physical body. And that so much more is that consciousness that is conscious of itself and conscious of existence and that unfolded itself into creation. And it's that consciousness 
that's behind it and holding everything together, that it's basic energy is that love energy which holds yeah. all of its creation together so that's god divine consciousness do you use the word god often or you choose not to i choose not to not so much because of the religious connotations that it has and against any religion either i think religion has been very important in trying to explain this this impulse that we have to seek beyond us and also the transcendent experiences because there are a lot of people, I think most of us, if not all of us, have had a transcendent moment in our, in our lives in which physical reality dissolves and we are connected and we are one. And to give an explanation, a framework for that experience in order for people not to go crazy with them or feel that they're losing control. Religion was that at the beginning for me. It was that framework to to explain or to give some sort of of coherence to those mystical transcendent experiences and to the longing of reaching for something beyond us. Of course, with time and with people and with politics and with whatever, for me, they became a little bit more of control mechanisms than actual transcendent-looking methods and that's why i don't adhere to any religion in specifically because all the rules and everything are, are just for me methods of control and they go against our innate freedom but they are very good as frameworks to to house our longing and our and our transcendent experiences yeah so that's why i don't use the word god because it relates to a specific religion Yes, I agree. A lot of these methods, they become a clutch for many of us, a spiritual attachment, and then we are just kind of holding on to them. But they are just methods. Yeah, staircases, I think of them. They're, they're useful mm. staircases in which we can start our journey, but eventually we have to let go of all ideas and all concepts in order to really be free and really be ourselves and really have our truth or, or connect with the truth. Because there is no human framework that has the truth, the all-encompassing truth. It's just too big to fit in the categories we have. Right. True. So true. How did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Befriending the Wolf? I love the title, though. Actually, it's a funny story. And, and it has to do with with the universe conspiring for me to do it. And I'll tell you the story really fast. I, I was hosting a friend of mine that does some energy work and we were in, a, in my place. So I was the last one because we were, it was a group of people and whatever. So well, as I was closing up and everything, we were talking and in my form, in the form I had filled, it said I had lupus. And she said, in an energetic body, I didn't feel like you were ill. So I said, no, I'm actually fine. I have done all this work and all these things and found all these methods and I'm actually perfectly okay. I don't have any symptoms and I go about life perfectly normally. I don't, I don't even have any drugs anymore. I, I'm just perfectly regular person. And she was the one that suggested, wow, that's an incredible story. You should write a book. Mm. So I said, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. I ended up closing. Mm -hmm. And then I came home and I was cleaning up old emails. And there was this email from, I think, eight months ago or something that said, Millie, are you coming? So it caught my eye and I opened it and it was a, a writing course. Wow. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm getting the gist of it, but, but I'm, not, I'm not easy with the universe. So I said, okay, <laughs> you want to write the book? But guess what? You're, you're going to make it easy for me. Uh, that The course started in a week. Yeah. So I said, okay, but I don't have a lot of money right now. So you're going to find me a cheap airplane. I go into the <laughs> to the airline and it says, two for one to Los Angeles. It was in, in, in LAX in a hotel. I said, okay, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting this. <laughs> but I want to stay in the hotel where the seminar is. I'm not going to go around LA in a taxi. I refuse. Welcome to the LAX hotel, blah, blah, blah. Your, com your confirmation is, is ready. So I said, okay. And I went to the course and it wasn't actually a course to write a book. It was a, a person that had all these 
tables of editors and of publishers and of all the people that would make the project actually work. Mm. So I came back home and started writing and I wrote the book in three months and I sent it over to one of those wonderful people I met there and she edited it for me and then she went to work for a publisher. So in the transition of from editor to publisher, she said, can I please give your book as a project of mine to the publisher? So I said, fine. And then the universe conspired to do the book. So there it is. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Try to say no to the universe. <laughs> that will never happen. <laughs> Talk to me about lupus. What is lupus and what was your healing journey like? Lupus is a, a reaction of the immune system that starts killing your own body. So you don't have any defense against your own defense. It's like your army doing a coup d'etat. It just, you don't have any defense against your army. And it starts attacking organs because it, it doesn't recognize them as you anymore. And it can attack anything at any time with any trigger. And it's difficult to know what those triggers are. And my, my basic attack was really, really virulent. It was a deathly one, actually, because in a week it destroyed most of my body and it would just went by hours. It was just an all out attack. And after a week, it was attacking my central nervous system. And the doctor, when, when I finally got to see a doctor, because it was, you know, everything, everything was complicated. It was Christmas time. There were no doctors. I was in Cuernavaca with my parents and all the doctors were away because they were on vacation because it was Christmas time. So finally, we found a, a geriatrist. So his, his patients don't travel a lot and they get sick in winter. So he doesn't travel in, in winter. And we went to see him. I was completely ravaged by then. I had no muscles. All my joints were swollen out of control. My skin was peeling off in pieces. I was just falling to pieces all over the place. Couldn't move, couldn't do anything. I was in a wheelchair and it was attacking my central nervous system. So when he saw me, he said, okay, I think she has at most two days to live. And I was feeling so horrible. I have to be honest with you. I actually felt like a relief, like, oh, the torture is going to end soon. But of course, my second son had just been born. He was a two-month-old baby. So that was a good incentive to stay alive. So he got me on steroids, really large amount of steroids. And I, I was having 100 milligrams of prednisone a day and immunosuppressants and all kinds of drugs. I was having all kinds of drugs, which finally did stop the attack. And from stopping the attack to getting better, I was six months in bed without being able to move. And the doctors had said that I would stay like that, that I, that coming back from that was nearly impossible, that my life was that now, being in a bed in a darkened room with all kinds of pills. Not even my, my kids couldn't come in to see me because I was immunosuppressed. So, of course, any bug that they had could kill me in nothing. So it was, it was a really hard time for me. But the hardest was not the physical pain, which was excruciating, but the I was so sick and so lacking in energy that I couldn't feel anything. I had no emotions. I was like, like the living dead. I was just lying there. That's why the opposite for me for life is that is, is being the living dead is not feeling anything, not being excited by anything. Couldn't feel anything at all. No anger, no, no, not even love. I saw my children. I knew that I loved them, but I couldn't evoke the feeling in my body. It was, it was a really bad time. And then I, I decided that I, this was no way to live. And everybody in my family said, oh, my God, she, she wants to commit suicide or something. But no, I actually said either I get better or I die trying because living like this is no life at all. Imagine in a, in a room that I couldn't see light. No light could touch my skin because it hurt like acid. Right. So I was in this darkened room and just lying there. This is no life. I'm just robbing oxygen of the world. I'd rather die. But the day I decided that, I made it the purpose of my life to heal myself mm. or die trying, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was then that I started looking for alternative methods because 
the the doctors are very good at taking you out of a crisis, at stopping the crisis and getting you out of the crisis, but they're not so good at going to the main cause of the illness. What I found is that the cause is not the physical body. It's usually emotions, thoughts, and imbalance in your life Mm. that is creating the illness. So the drugs only take care of the symptoms, but they do not address the cause of the illness. And I had to address the cause in order to get better. So that's where my journey began. And my journey was basically that, going inside myself, knowing myself, getting a grip of my emotions, of my thoughts, of the of the needs of my new body. Because this, this body I was in was like an alien to me. I, I didn't know what, how to treat it or behave with it. So I had to relearn who I was and what my limits were and what my capabilities were. And I had a lot of pitfalls. I got a little better and then I overdid it again and got sick again. And it was it, it was a long journey. It took me like 14 years in order to really get rid of all the drugs and get rid of everything. This was, I think it was five years ago or something that I really can tell you I have had no symptoms, no, no more drugs, no more anything How for the lupus. I know myself and I know how to how to manage myself in order to avoid it. I know I know the first symptoms, you know, when it's because lupus never goes away. It's it's an overreaction of the immune system. You never heal from lupus, but you can certainly manage it from knowing yourself. So I know when whenever I have two or three triggers and I know my triggers perfectly and that's that's a very important key in this to know what triggers you. So I know that I can deal with one, maybe two, but if I have three, I will get sick. So it's wonderful how you recovered and I love your courage because that takes courage. It goes back to the heart, accessing that energy and just making that choice. I want to live. I want to be happy again. I want to experience this in a healthy way. That's a wonderful choice to make and it takes courage. Also incredible how you came up with this understanding that it's all about knowing ourselves. And that's true. So true. So talk to me for a moment about how the connection between past lives, regression and healing. Oh, that's a cool one. (laughs) (laughs) Because in our past lives, we have a lot of learning, but also a lot of trauma that we keep bringing into life. Everything that we have not resolved in past lives, we bring into this one. And many of the causes of the problems we have lie in our past life's experiences. So being able to access those experiences and heal them from there makes it such a a faster healing journey when you can do it from the actual cause of the problem. So for me, that has been so clarifying to be able to see past lives and to know which of the things that I bring here or that I brought here come from there and heal it from there. For example, I'll give you, I'll give you a really good example. That's in this life, we always have a reminder of that life. So when I was really young in this life, like four years old, five years old, something of the sort, we were at the beach and my brother and my cousin ran into the waves and I ran behind them and the wave took me and I drowned. I did drown. I saw the tunnel of light. I left my body, the whole, the whole experience, the, the near death experience. Yeah. And my father found me and took me out of the water and whatever. And from there, I was definitely afraid of water. They couldn't even bathe me and, and, and wet my face because if a drop of water touched my face, I would go into a screaming fit because I was so phobic of water. And in a past life experience, I saw that in another life, I had drowned and I needed to heal that experience. That's why I, I drowned in this one too. So I would have a reference to this one. And when I healed the past life experience, that phobia of water went away. I even got my my diving permit and everything. I became a scuba diver. I don't do it very often. It's not my hit, but I can do it. And that's that for me is success. Talking about success, that for me is success with that particular trauma. But it, it didn't originate here. This was like a reminder of that experience in which I did drown. Even if we don't believe in past lives, would the therapy work? 
somehow. Because what what you do with or what I do with people that don't believe in past lives, you just tell them to imagine a scenario. And if if it was a movie and this is symbolic of your unconscious mind, it doesn't really matter if you believe it, it was a past life or if you think it's just a symbol from your unconscious mind. What works is to heal that experience. However you think about it, it doesn't really matter at all. So you can do it, just imagine the scenario, and it, or, they, or people come in and say, I had this dream. Okay, let's work with the dream. And the dream is usually they're dreaming up the past life experience in order to heal it. So you can just go with a dream or just go with a symbol or just go with a movie or just go with imagine the scenario. And the information that needs to be healed will come up regardless of the beliefs of the person. And that leads to my next question about healing methods. What was or what were the most effective healing methods that you found from your own experience? Well, I have many, but they, they treat different things in different parts of the body. Yeah. So for, for bodily illnesses, for virus, bacteria, parasites, the one that I have like in, in, my, in my chest of tools is biomagnetism. Magnetism is great to heal illnesses that come from the outside, viruses, bacteria, parasites. So that's, that's my, of my basic toolkit. But the one that really is my core is resonance repatterning. This is a method created by a, my lovely teacher whom I love dearly. She's called Chloe Wordsworth. And she, what she did was a it's a synthesis of all the healing methods to date. So she went into acupuncture and she went into the chakras and she went into all these healing practices and she realized that they all work, but what works best is what you resonate with. Mm. So she came up with this concept of resonance, that what you live is what you resonate with. And in order to live something different or to have something really change in your life, you need to change your resonance with it. So we are like radios and we are playing this tune and we hate this tune, but we don't know how to change the dial. And resonance repatterning is what it does. It changes the dial so you can actually listen to the tune you want to to, to hear. You want to, so you can live what you want to live. And it changes your resonance from the cause because every belief that we have and everything that we think to be true is something that we're resonating with. And when we can change that resonance, that problem disappears like magic because you don't even see it anymore. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. Anything that has to do with changing beliefs, yeah, it is definitely a powerful tool. We don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to ask you this question. So beliefs, are they replaced? Do we add new ones or we try to remove old beliefs? <laughs> I think all of them. Beliefs are just part of our defense mechanisms. It's, it's a learning experience. It's like when you put your hand in fire and, and you say, ouch, it burns. Mm. That's a belief, but it's also a learning experience. Mm. That belief comes from having been burnt. So what we have to do is go to the cause, as I was saying, and remove it from there. Because there are some beliefs that are useful, like fire burns, please keep out of the fire. Mm -hmm. And it's part of our survival instinct and all that. And there are beliefs that are just not true and not useful for us anymore. Like, I don't know, I was three years old and I got bitten by a dog. And therefore, I believe that all dogs are evil and I hate dogs. Yeah. And that's not true. And that's not useful. And I'm 50 years old and I hear a chihuahua bark and I go up a tree of fright. And that's not really useful for me anymore. So I can go back and change that belief because it, it was a learning experience at three years old that it's not working here now. And that's in the unconscious mind because the unconscious mind doesn't have the concept of time at all. Okay. So right. what worked for you at three years old is still active until you give it something else to do. So you have to go to the unconscious mind and give it something else instead of that belief. So in that chain, in that sense, we do change the beliefs. We add different beliefs, like like the water one I was telling you about. Yeah. For me, water was evil, just yeah. horrible. I couldn't be there. And just changing that belief, knowing where it came from and changing that belief, now I can be in water. 
So I can still drown. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I still have respect for the sea and for the waves and for water. Yeah. But I, I'm not deathly afraid of it anymore. So some beliefs are useful, but the ones that are not are the ones that we have to change. And we have to know that there are obst- and they're the obstacles we put in our own way. Mm, and that's our conscious mind trying to protect us when it puts obstacles in your ways, because there's a fundamental belief that it made through learning something and we're tripping over our own belief that it's very possibly not true, like all dogs are evil creatures. So hypnosis, is this the best method to access the subconscious, unconscious mind? Yes. Hypnosis and resonance repatterning. Because it, resonance repatterning for people that can't go into hypnosis, because in hypnosis you have to actually let go and you have to be susceptible to be hypnotized. Resonance repatterning works for everyone because it, it accesses the body as an antenna. It uses kinesiology to see what you're in resonance with. So that, that doesn't need you to go in a trance at all, and everybody can do it. So both methods are great. Of course, I, I like, I adore both, so I couldn't tell you which one is better. I think it depends on what you're trying to heal or or what you're in the mood for, or, or what therapist you have sort of on hand. But both work wonders. I love that. So you work with both methods, right, Millie? I do with both and with biomagnetism and also with Reiki. Reiki is also a great healing method. Reiki is just putting energy, healing energy, and your body knows what to do with it and it puts it where it needs to go. With my children, for example, I used Reiki a lot when they were small and they used to fall. If I caught them right when they fell and did Reiki on them, they wouldn't even get bruised. Yeah, that sounds really wonderful to me, the work that you do. And I love how effective they are. And you have your own experience to back the effectiveness of these methods. I have a few more questions for you. I called them final questions. Uh, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Well, if you want me to read the tragedy, but I think I <laughs> for that. So let's go with with the the message I really wanted to get people to know about my book is that there's always hope and that the body has been made to be well and all it needs is for us to get out of our own way and to give it the tools it needs to be well. And that's that's the, sort of the, the message I want to give with the book. There's always hope, never lose hope. And there are many ways to get better. And your body wants to be well. It wants to be healthy and it wants to be happy. And all you have to do is take out what's preventing that, which are negative beliefs, right. and give it the tools it needs to be able to do that. How wonderful. I love your message. So I have two more questions for you. The last questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, as you already had experiences with, you have an idea of what that's like. If this were to happen again, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Actually, that question was posed to me by circumstances, as you say. Yeah. And what I do or what I have changed is that I try to live every single day as if it was the last. Mm, right. I try to tell every day the people I love that I love them. I try not to harbor any resentments. I try to solve any conflict that comes up as if I was going to die that night and I, there would be no tomorrow to say I'm sorry or to resolve anything. And that has been such a joyful experience for me because then every day is a miracle in itself. Every time I wake up, I say, yay, I didn't mm -hmm. die last night. Oh, yay, let's go for another <laughs> beautiful day. Yeah. And just something like that makes you live in, in constant wonder. My last question. What are three things about life that you know for sure as of now? Love is the most important thing. It's what keeps us together and sane and happy. I would say that learning is so important and that suffering is part of learning and we have to take the challenges and the suffering as lessons and that there is always something incredible if you know where to look. There's a jewel in every single one of your experiences, however hard they may seem. And the third thing I know for sure is that it's going to end. So we have to make the most of it while we have it. 
We have to open the gift of life and just live it to the fullest every single moment. Thank you so much for your presence, your profound wisdom, your clarity, and for being genuine and generous too. Thank you, Millie. Thank you for the interview and thank you for the time. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, my book is in Amazon. And you said it's called Befriending the Wolf. And you can buy it in Amazon if you're interested. I have a personal webpage, which is www.militierix.com. And I have the other one in process, which is the Consciousness and Evolution webpage. And I also have, I just made the channel in English, the YouTube channel called Consciousness and Evolution. And in that channel, I'm sharing a lot of the tools I use tools that people can use in their daily lives in order to make it better and to start healing their lives. Because I do believe that the next step in human evolution is consciousness, and we have to raise to the second level of consciousness. So that YouTube channel is my free contribution to everybody. So everybody can have tools of healing and actually be able to access all these ways in which to be better because as I said all we need are the tools and all we need is to get out of our way so I made this channel everything's free there and the web page is, is still in progress but it's going to have a blog and it's going to have the the access to the books and all the articles I have written and I'm going to write the second book which is about consciousness and evolution and hopefully it will be ready by the end of the year and maybe come out next year wonderful I'll have the links. When you have them, please send it to me. I'll have on the podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Millie, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Millie Derricks and her work, please visit MillieDerricks.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>